Testis. I mean, if you have a, a child up to the age of nine, you can, and you're new with us and didn't know that, we have an age-appropriate time for them in the back, and you can follow that crew back there and get them settled in and checked in. <clears throat> if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to uh, the book of Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians, and we're going to be in chapter five this morning. And um, if you've been with us, I know that we, we probably have a good bit of new people um, here this week, and so I'm going to be doing. A little bit of a review, we're in the middle of a series called Accomplished, the Church of Jesus. What, what did Jesus accomplish with his life and, 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 and specifically uh, the church and what he, um, as he made disciples, as he proclaimed the kingdom and proved uh, his lordship and as he is the head of the church, what should the church be and look like? What did he accomplish us to be as the body of Christ? And so I'm um, going to be looking at that this morning out of Second Corinthians chapter 5. We'll get there in a second. Um, you know, I love, I love this song that we just sang, the Even So Come. And maybe you're here this morning, you're not that familiar with Christianity, or, or, and you think, why, why do we sing this song and, and raise hands and, and think about um, asking Jesus, who we believe is the Lord, that we believe is the ruler of this universe, is the one who has accomplished for us relationship with God, the one who will come and we're going to see that this morning. And he will make all things new. Why do we sing that passionately? Why do we pray that? Lord, come. You're coming back one day. He's going to create a new heaven and a new place where there's no pain and no brokenness. One, because we want to see him. We want to know him fully and experience him like we never have before. We live for the worship of Jesus and to be united with him fully. And that's, he's accomplished that for us. But it's also because we know that this world is a broken place. This world is so broken. If you, if you, if you want to do this, it's fine. But all you have to do to figure out this, this world is broken is if you, if you have your smartphone with you, is just look at the news highlights from the last week or the last month. And you're going to see how wor this world is broken. How even the people that, that we should look to honorably and trust in this system of, of, of government and all over the world, that even that's broken, that people are fundamentally broken. That people kill each other, that relationships between man and man, it's broken to the core. That, that the way that we treat our, this creation, what God created, it's broken. This world is broken. You can look and you can see that there's earthquakes and there's tsunamis and all these things that are beginning to increasingly happen. The world is broken. I was reminded of this this week. In such a personal way. Somebody that we served with in Dubai, uh, a lady in her late 20s that we were, me and my wife, we were friends with. We were there in Dubai serving with her for a year. She went in with headaches on a Friday and passed away on a Sunday from discovering a large brain tumor and seizures that she had that left her dead, leaving this world, passing away. This world's broken. This world's broken, but we sing a song like this and it says, even so come. Lord, Lord, it's broken, but you're making things new. And you will make things new. But as we look at it and we think about the church and we're talking about 
the church and we think about our role in this world and, and what we have is we look at the world and see how broken it is and you really begin to experience that. Everybody in here has experienced that. You have firsthand experience with knowing that the world is broken, that people are broken, right? If you've ever tried to help anybody or be a part of something and tried to do something good and you're like, this is a mess. This world is broken. This world is polluted. Who would want to serve this world? Who would want to be in that? Not just our tendency to naturally completely retreat away from that. That's our natural inclination, but as we look this morning on the church that Jesus accomplished, Christ calls us to engage it, to engage the world in service and love, to serve in the face of all that's broken, all that's messed up. And this morning, the main point we're going to look at as we unpack it from 2 Corinthians 5 is that Christ, he has accomplished through his life, through his ministry in this world, he came into this brokenness and came into this world and he has accomplished reconciliation between mainly between God and man we're going to talk about what that means and he has given us he has given us the church those who have been reconciled to God and made right with God he's given us this ministry he's given us this service into the world and so we're going to look at that we're a church that serves and we looked at part one last week a church that serves the the church that Jesus accomplished is a church that serves it serves the family those within the body of Christ and Chad shared that with us last week but it's it's also a church that serves the world the context that we're in we live in this broken world and Christ has accomplished through what he did in this broken world and has given us this ministry of reconciliation to serve the world in love and in truth and so looking at accomplished just looking real quick a little review of what we've been talking about based out of John 17 4 and 5 says, I, this is Jesus' prayer to the Father. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And we see in that prayer what Jesus prayed for, for his followers, and ultimately what he prayed for that his church would be, what he accomplished through his life and his death and his resurrection. He prayed that his church uh, would be a truth-centered, saturated family of people we've talked about that how he unites us as family with God as our father a family that's on mission to make disciples in the world and after that we looked at that the church of Jesus it's a submitted church and so we looked at this from Colossians uh, chapter one it's a it's a church that understands that Jesus he's supreme over all things in the world including he's the head of the church he's supreme in the church so we're a submitted people to Jesus. We live and do everything that we do to glorify Jesus and all that he is. And then last week, as I mentioned, Chad talked about a serving church that serves the family. We serve one another with a love that is so deep, with a love that the world would look at it and say, man, there's something, there's something different there. There's something supernatural that's happening there. And this is what Jesus prayed for in John 17. Starting in verse 11, he said, I'm no longer in the world. But they are in the world, and I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one with the condition, even as we are one, that kind of unity that even exists between the Father and the Son and God the Father and, and Christ the Son. May, may, may your people that I've accomplished salvation for, may they be one and unified. And Chad led us to Philippians chapter 2. We see this kind of fleshed out where Paul is fleshing this out in a church that he, he's wanting to encourage them this, be unified in this way. Remember that you're family and how, how can you do this? What does this look like in Philippians 2? And 
And he reminds them, have this mind among yourself. If you want to do that, if you want to be united and serving each other in that way in the body of Christ, you have to have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. We serve after the example of Christ and his Service, though God came into this world and into this brokenness and has accomplished everything that the Father wanted him to accomplish, has accomplished the unity of the church. And as we're going to see this week, a church that engages in the brokenness of the world and has been given a ministry to serve the world, to serve those outside of our body. When I say the world, it's, it's people, they're not in the family. It's the system of the world that is broken on every level to step into that and to serve. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 17. As you sent me into the world, as you sent me into this world to enter into this brokenness and the way that you sent me, we're gonna look at that. So I have sent them into the world. That's what we're gonna be looking at this morning. We're gonna look at that in 2 Corinthians chapter five is where we're gonna kind of be brought to the place where we look at that. Starting verse 11, we're really gonna focus in at 17, but to give us a little context, I want to start reading at verse 11. If you have it, if you'd please look in there with me. Um, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, really in this passage, and what he's, what he's doing is he's, he's giving credibility to his ministry and who he is. And so this is kind of an outpouring of his heart that we can glean as all as followers of Christ, we can glean from this. What is, what is the motive, what is the heart, and what is the calling of a Christ follower? And so we start in 2 Corinthians 5, 11. It says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are known, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known to you, to also to your conscience. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we're beside ourselves, it is for God. If we're in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Fathers, we look at this passage this morning. God, I pray that you would open our hearts and that you would open our minds. God, I pray that you'd be here among us, that your spirit would be here testifying to the goodness and to the greatness of Jesus. 
that Jesus would be lifted up and glorified and lifted high, God, and that you would show us all that it is you have done for us and accomplished for us, God, all that it is, but because of that, that you're calling us to do, God, that you're giving us the energy to do because of the work that you have done, Lord. We don't work, but we rest in you, Lord, and you use us as a part of everything that you wanna do in this world, God, and I pray that you'd speak to us and show us that so that we'd be a church that glorifies you, that serves the world, God, is the calling that you've given us, the ministry you've given us. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so what I want to do, look at this passage. We're going to look at this passage because what I want to see is that is, is to, to make the proof from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in the couple of verses we're going to focus in on is, is, is the, the main point of, of what we want to talk about this morning, that it's true, that we see it in here, that God has accomplished through Christ reconciliation. He has brought man and God together and all that that means for this universe, all that that means for our human relationships, that he has done that through Christ in this world and that he's given us that same ministry that we would go and serve in the world, that he's accomplished the church that would serve, that the church of Jesus is a serving church, a church that serves the world. So let's look through this passage and then also there's some implications as we look at that. What does it look like to serve? Why serve? How serve? And so as we look in verse 17, we'll kind of narrow in on, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. And that, I, that's why I wanted to go back to 11. Let us see the context, what's happening here, because already Paul has given us some things of some characteristics of what it's going to look like and what it would mean for somebody that's a new creation. One, it's somebody that's controlled by the love of Christ. God has done something in their heart that their aim in life, the thing that controls their, their thoughts and their actions and their life and their schedules and everything about who they are, they're controlled by the love of Christ. And it's also somebody, not only somebody that's controlled by the love of Christ, it's, so, it's somebody that's no longer living for themselves. If you see that in verse 15, not that you would live for yourselves any longer, no longer living for yourselves. So Christ has given us a new purpose, but it's also somebody, a new creation, it's somebody who's entered into a ministry. Everybody that is in Christ, if you have come to Christ, if you've surrendered to him and to his lordship, repented of your sins and put your faith in him, says you're a new creation and you've been given a ministry and that's what we're gonna look at as we go further, as we'll see. But all of this, as you look in there in verse 18, all of this is from God. All the newness. How can we make something new? How can you make something that's old and that's dead? How can it come to life and be new? Even people who are in the world, a world that is broken. At one time, everybody in here, some still are, but everybody in here, we're, we're in the world. We're a part of this, this broken world and this broken system who cannot truly see God for all that he is, all the beauty of who God is, and to know him and to, and to be able to even think about relating to him as a personal God who relates to us. But if you're in Christ, you've been made a new creation. Now, all this is from God. God does this. How? Through Christ. All this is from God who through Christ has reconciled us, and that's a word, if you're following in your Bible, just go ahead and circle reconciled, and we're gonna see that several times over, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, back to God. So God has made us new people. He's done this, this is his doing, his initiative. He's done this through Christ who's reconciled 
us. This word, this reconciliation, you're gonna see it several times in this passage, several other times in the, in the Bible. If you don't know the New Testament Bible, it was written in a different language. It was written in Greek. And when you look at the classical use, other pieces of literature during that time were being written in Greek. The original classical Greek for reconciliation it's, it's, was originally just used between humans who would come together after a time of hostility. So maybe a fight happened, a rivalry, whatever it is, but this word was used in that sense that after some period of time, these, these, these men or these women, these humans that had some hostility towards each other, that they, they came together, that that was removed. And rarely, really no cases really being able to see this word being used religiously in any other context. And mainly because... In the culture of, of this time, in the biblical time, and Greek writers in Greece, as they're polytheists who are worshiping and knowing about different gods, the very idea that you would try to use a word that talks about relating and coming together with one of the gods was foreign. It's a foreign concept. These gods are not personal. They're up there doing their own thing, and they, they mix and they mingle with us every now and then, but they're, they have personal relationship with with these gods, that was a foreign idea. So this is a word that's unique to Paul in the New Testament. And Paul takes this word and he makes it about the removal of hatred between God and man. And says that through Christ, though there's hatred between God and man, there's hostility, there's enmity there, there's separation there, but through Christ, what Christ came to do is to reconcile in a very personal way that this God that we know this creator God that we can know him in a personal way because the hostility and the hatred has been removed because of what Christ has done. And that's the way it's being used here. All this is from God who through Christ reconciles us and the us here is those who are in Christ, those who have surrendered their life to Christ, so the church, so we can say this is the church. So God has accomplished reconciliation He's done this through Christ. This is the ministry of Christ. And he's, now he's talking about this has been done to the church, to the people of God. And so reconciliation in this is primarily between God and man. But then other times in the Bible we see this word used. And it's, it's implying into other things. Like a passage we looked at a couple of weeks ago to talk about Jesus as being supreme and supreme of the church. In Colossians 1 and 20 and 22 we see this word and the more the implications there are with end times. It's an emphasis on the universe. This universe has been broken since the fall. Creation is broken since the fall. But there will be a time that we sing about, that we pray about, even so come when God will make all things new, that he will redeem even this broken world and create a new world where there's no pain and everything is reconciled in the way that he created it to be. So it's used in that sense, but it's also used in the Bible in Ephesians 2, 16, as Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus where there's Gentiles and there's Jews and he's trying to make sense of this. There's a separation. It's a racial tension and a racial separation. And he's writing in, in, in 2.16 of Ephesians and uses this word on a human level. The reconciliation on a human level. The man-to-man -man reconciliation and saying that in Christ, the walls of hostility and hatred between races is broken down. So this is the way we see this. And, and in most places, it's the reconciliation between God and man, but it also applies to the human level, the universal level, but also in the level between racial hostility and tension that would come between on the man-to-man -man relationships. But Christ has done this. He has accomplished this. This has come through God. He has reconciled us. He has made us one 
with God, united us with God. And then you keep going in that and it says this. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What, what Christ has accomplished and what Christ has done in reconciliation, he's given to us in the ministry of reconciliation. In the ministry, this ministry word, this is a service. This is serving. You can go ahead and just put in your, in your mind service with a service, a service of reconciliation. We're gonna talk, what does it mean to serve in a way that it's reconciling? Because that's what it's saying here. God has given us through Christ because he came and he served in this way. He has given that to the church that we would serve, that we would serve the world in reconciliation. That is, it says after that, that is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, the cosmos, the universal sense of the world. Kind of the similar use that we see in Colossians 1, 20 and 22. But not only that, has he given us the ministry, this service of reconciliation. So it's a service. It's a thing that, that we do. It's an action that we take. It's a posture that we take in service. But also in the message of reconciliation. Not counting, as you see in 19, that is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses, their sins against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So if you're a marker, what you wanna do as you're looking in this word and looking at this Bible to make the, the parallels, you can look up and go up there and just, um, when it says he's given us, circle that given us and underline ministry. He's given us, he's laid onto us a ministry, a service of reconciliation. But then also you can circle and say in verse 19, entrusted to us you circle entrusted to us and you underline message of reconciliation and this message here being translated is a word that's very familiar to a lot of us who have studied the bible and it's coming in the form of the logos it's a word so he's he's given to us a service of reconciliation but then he's entrusted to us, meaning there's this, there's this thing that, that is here that is so valuable. It's, it's a valuable thing that is here in the form of the word, the truth of God, the fullness of who God is. And this entrusting means that he's taken this thing that is valuable and he has, he's put it in our hands in such a way that he says, take this and put it in safekeeping. It's your message. I'm entrusting it to you. The message, the logos, the word of God and the reconciliation has been entrusted to us. Therefore, so you come to this, anytime you see therefore in the Bible, you wanna know why, what it's there for. You look and you say, what is that there for? Since this is true, since all this is from God, since God has accomplished reconciliation through Christ to us, his church, and he's given us a ministry, a service of reconcil reconciliation, and also a word entrusted to us, the word, of reconciliation, the truth about reconciliation. Therefore, since this is true, since God has accomplished this through Christ, since he's handed it down to us, you're ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador, not a noun, not an identity, a verb, 
something we presently active are because he's given us this service as we're serving in the ministry that Christ has called us into and because we're speaking and we're entrusting this word of reconciliation that he's given to us because he's accomplished this and because he's given us and entrusted us with these things. Therefore, we're ambassadors. Paul speaking, he's defending his ministry saying this is what we do and it's from God because we're a new creation. And so if you're a new creation, then this is something you have from God and that he's given to you. And he says, we're ambassadors. We're actively, presently, actively doing this in our lives. We're ambassadoring for Christ. It's really a word that's it's hard, to, it's hard to play out in English, what it sounds like. But it's a verb. We are ambassadors for Christ. So that this, as we look at this passage, this is true, that God, he's accomplished through his life, through his ministry and his service in the world, reconciliation between God and between man. And he has given to us his church, this ministry, this service in the world. That's what we're seeing in this passage. That's what we're seeing here. And because that is true, there's, some, there's four things we can draw out and say, why this service or how does this service look like as we look at this passage closer and deeper? And the first truth is this. We serve the world because Christ served us. I don't spend a lot of time on here, but this is valuably important. Everything Paul says before he gets, if you work this backwards and he says, I'm an ambassador for Christ, I have a ministry you know, this word and this deed ministry, everything before that, what is he speaking of? Everything that Christ has done in my life, he's made me new, his love controls me. I don't live for myself any longer. All this, God has done a work in my life and in my heart. I serve the world because I realize Christ has served me. That's what Christ said, ain't it? I came to serve, not to be served. And that's hugely important for a couple of reasons. One, because we can't serve him. He's not somebody who comes and, and, and needs us in that kind of way. And it's also because it's everything that he has to offer to us that we have nothing to offer to him in our role of salvation and knowing him and becoming new crea- creation, new creatures. So what God has done for you and to you, he now wants to do through you. We serve the world because Christ served us couple of things that means it makes it possible this is what we mean when we say that it makes it possible because Christ has served you through his death on the cross and made you a new creature it makes it possible serving the world the brokenness of the world the the misery of the world man that would be miserable for us and short-lived if we weren't a new creation if God did not make us new and say you know it's always been my plan that God's heart and desire for broken people in this world would be his people's heart and desire for broken people. Not that they would have to be nudged and forced and, man, go do this, go do this, because it's what you're supposed to do, but they would actually have the heart of God. It would be their desires. They would look at broken people and say, I love you and I care for you and I want to enter into your mess. It makes it possible. It's not possible. If you don't realize Christ has not served you and made you new and entered into your broken, messy world and changed your heart of stone to a heart of flesh, it's not possible to serve the world in the way that Christ calls us to serve the world, but it also makes it perpetual. Realizing and meditating on that truth, that gospel truth, that Christ has served us makes our serving of the world perpetual and not seasonal, not one time and not running for a short time and not having the energy to it. As we reflect on the humbling, endless truth 
that Christ has served us, it thrusts us into an endless love for others. Here's what I found in my life. And I think it's true as all of us as followers of Christ, the moment we start forgetting how much we've been given from Christ through, or through Christ from God, the moment we start forgetting how much we've been given, we start thinking about how much we're giving to others. We serve the world because Christ has served us and it has to be the banner that you put on your doorway. It has to be the thing that you put in your dashboard of your car that reminds you of the goodness of the gospel and how good God has been to you. That it brings you to tears to think about, even though you've been a believer 10, 15 years, that the hum- humbly knowing that Christ has served you and poured out a grace that you do not deserve. Man, that still moves you and that it would bring you to those kind of tears and response of gratitude and thankfulness. And we serve the world because Christ has served us. That makes it possible. That makes it perpetual. That's the why, but how? But how? Second truth, we serve the world after the pattern of Christ. We serve the world after the pattern of Christ. So if you look in this text and you look and see, okay, all this is from God. He's reconciled us to himself. He did this work first. Then he's given it to us so that we're his ambassadors. This is a work that Christ has done first. So it's a pattern that we can follow, that we ought to follow, and that we're meant to follow. His pattern, when we talk about the pattern of Christ, his pattern is mainly to be thought of as a posture. So how do we serve the world? And you think about the pattern. You think about the posture of Christ. That's what we have to think about. Jesus said it in John 17. He said, I sent them into the world, but the condition before that is how? As you sent me into the world. What posture did Jesus take when he came into the world? John 1 tells us Jesus was full of grace. He was full of truth. You look at the ministry. You look at the gospels, the ministry of Jesus. His aim as he broke out in ministry at the right time, he went around proclaiming that the kingdom of God has come near. It was a proclamation of who God is and a teaching about God. But then every deed he ever did in restoration, in repairing, in healing, was affirming who he was and affirming the message that he declared. So it's interesting in Jesus' life, you know, in Luke chapter 7, you have this account of John the Baptist who had come before Christ to prepare the way for Christ and his message to come. Well, John makes some very important people angry and John's arrested. And so he's outside of this context of knowing that, man, what's Jesus doing? I'm not hearing much about what Jesus is doing out there. Was he really the one? I had that encounter with him in the water where I baptized him and I saw the heavens open up and the, the dove come and, a, and ascend down on him. But, but, you know, I'm in this prison. I've been stuck in here for a while and I'm beginning to wonder. I'm having these doubts. And so he sends some people to go and to give them a report. Tell him, I want to know who, who, who's Jesus, what's he doing out there so that I can know that he's really the Messiah, the one that was been sent from God. And the interesting, the interesting thing is the answer that Jesus gives in verse 22. There's a lot of ways he could have answered that, but think about all the ways Jesus could have answered that. John's asking, he was a prove to me you're the Messiah. And we're thinking, you've already seen the heavens open up. Verse 22, he answered them. Go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. 
The leopards are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Jesus' answer was, was, was an understanding of this, something John would have understood really well. Jesus' message, the message he proclaimed, and it was a message that was proclaimed, it was intimately, intimately bound up with his life and with his service in the world. So, for the follower of Christ, for the Christian, our message is intimately bound up with our life and with our service in the world. This is what Paul writes to the Thessalonians. Paul, who's a guy who went around and he'd go into cities and he'd proclaim the gospel to people that had not heard it, right? What did he do with his life among them? How did he come to them? Paul understood that his message he proclaimed was intimately bound up with the way he lived his life and the way that he served others, served the world. He says it in 1 Thessalonians 1.5 as he's writing to this church that he's helped to establish there because our gospel, it came to you not only in word but also in power, in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Paul says, you saw my life. You saw the way I lived my life. You saw that the message that I proclaim was intimately bound up in the way that I lived my life and the way that I served before you. And we have to know that we proclaim a king who came to serve. When we remove ourselves from that posture of service, we start serving in a proclaiming a king that we don't know anything about. So Jesus gave us the proper message, but he also gave us the proper posture. We serve the world after the pattern of Christ. And so sometimes it's easier to define what this would mean by saying what it does not mean. So it doesn't look like standing on the corners declaring a message to people you've, you, you don't want to take any time to enter into their lives and into their mess and a message that's full of pride and arrogance or to view people as projects in the things that we do in our in our, in our church events and things like that. It's, it's not ignoring the hurts that are all around us. It's not ignoring the hungry bellies in the streets, but maybe doing some kind of event that gives them a Bible and says, good luck with that in your life. Turning a blind eye to injustice, pain, and suffering that's all around us in the world while we post regularly scriptures on Facebook every day. Hear me say this. Social media is a, I use it in this way, it's an extremely great platform. And I, I think you can make the case, just my opinion on this, you can make the case as believers, that's how we should strongly be using any social media. Man, list the articles that are being impacted, that are God-saturated and gospel-centered and sharing those so people can read it, putting scripture out there and using it as that tool. We have to do that. We have to be about that. But maybe the modern way of talking about this, how we have to serve after the pattern of Christ and take on the posture of Christ and thinking about what is our ministry in this world, maybe it would be to say, Jesus didn't call us to just be Facebook Christians that proclaim and comment and share every article and video of the gospel. He called us to take on his servant posture and minister to people, real people, in real situations, messy situations taking on his posture in that way. And maybe that becomes something that we're so involved with we don't have much time. 
to be reading all the articles that we're reading and posting all the things that we're posting. When the world looks at our church, they should see because of this, after the pattern and the posture of Christ in serving the world, they should see the embodiment of all that Christ was. They shouldn't be able to look in the Bible and say, man, I like the way everything that Jesus says and does, but I don't, I don't, I don't like the way that you do things because those things look totally opposite and totally different. What would it look like if the church took on the posture and pattern of Jesus as we served in the world? And I think that leads to our third truth that we see. It would look like we serve the world with a holistic aim. A holistic aim. Just to real quick give, give a backdrop of Genesis 1 and 2 and how important those things are. Three relationships were broken in the fall. Adam and Eve in the garden, they were walking perfectly with him. But then the fall came, the serpent came, temptation came into the world. They broke the law of God. They said we want to be our own gods and have our own rules. Three important relationships were broken The love and unity between God and man was replaced with fear, guilt, and shame. We see that happening in the garden. Love and unity between Adam and Eve, that man-to-man, that person-to-person relationship that was perfect is replaced with blame and bitterness. And then the relationship between man and creation where it was to be one of you work the ground, you find your purpose in this and you make it better and it gives back to you. That has been broken. It's become one of destruction. The sweat on the brow of man. And we need to take on the holistic aim that that our king had. We need to proclaim the message of the kingdom in word and in deed. And we have to do it where he did it. Among the poor and the outcasts and those with injustice on them and in their lives. I was reading about, I was reading a book called uh, Saturate. It's a book that some of you have read and we give out and we highly recommend it. But it was, it was talking about, it's a, it's a pastor of a church that's written this book and they do groups and they, they call their people to service in the world and gospel-centered service in the world and they're talking about the tangible ways that they serve the world and just were, were looking at, uh, this, he was sharing the story of this one group that the, some people living in that group were uh, living in an area where there was a lot of single moms and uh, with, with, with kids, with young boys, no fathers in the home and um, he shared about how they just really had a heart for that. And so they began to obviously become friends and build relationships with these, uh, these single ladies and their, and their children. And they began to notice that they, they, none of these kids were ever getting birthday parties. And so one of the groups just wrapped around. They said, we're going to throw a birthday party for one of these kids. And they had this birthday party. And he was, they was talking about describing how in amazement he was like, whose cake is that? That's my cake. He was like, yeah, you get to eat that cake. You know, and had this cake and he sees these pile of presents that they've, they've got. And he says, whose presents are those? Those are my presents. You know, and just amazement. And all the while the mom, is, the single mom sitting in the back and tears are just running down her face. And he goes on to say this, Jesus' servants, this is a quote from the book. Jesus' servants look around. They see where things are not as they ought to be. They know what things should be like because they know the rule and the reign of God in the first garden and the promise of his rule and his reign in the future garden-like city. So he says, look around you. Consider where God has placed you and others with you. Does it look like Jesus' kingdom? Are the hungry fed, the naked clothed, the broken brought to health, the disconnected included in families, and the captives set free to fully live? If we're servants of Jesus, we're in the place he has put us in order to serve others as he has served us. We want people to see and to taste through our actions of love that he is very good and his kingdom is amazing so that after experiencing it, they will want to be with him forever in his kingdom. That we would be a church 
end quote, that we would be a church that serves the world with this kind of holistic aim, seeing where things are, are not as they are and ought to be in creation between people, between God and, and man and serving faithfully to this ministry of reconciliation we've been called to so that people would be ch- given a chance to see the glory of the king that we serve. We serve with this holistic aim. And then final truth, we serve the world as faithful to the king and loving to the enemy. Here's what that means. Take you back to 2 Corinthians 5 as we bring this thing to an end. Looking in that passage in verse 7 or verse 20. Therefore, we've been given this ministry. We've been given this message of reconciliation. Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador. So let me explain what I mean. As we're faithful to the king, yet loving to the enemy. An ambassador. Kind of have a general understanding of what that is. Because it's, you have to be a favorable person. You're representing one country that you're coming from. You need to be favorable with that and faithful to that country. But you're also stepping into another country. And you want to be favorable in that. And so, like in the Roman Empire, there were two types of provinces. A senatorial province... That, those were provinces, they were at peace, complete peace with Rome. They had representatives who came and sat in the Senate. There was no fear of them being any kind of rebellion. They were fully bought in and surrendered to Rome. But then you had the imperial provinces. And these, they, they would, they were under the leadership of Rome, but they would rebel if possible. So they needed an ambassador for Rome to go to them and to keep peace and to declare a message of peace. And Paul's using, he's taking on this word and saying, we're ambassadors for Christ. So Paul, in other places, we see Paul's not really concerned with his reputation and keeping the law and all these other kinds of things. He's, he's never concerned about saying, I want to be seen as a good person. But what he is concerned with is how his message about Christ would be received and regarded. So he needed to know that he wanted people to know, I'm a servant of Christ. I'm a representative of Christ. And our first allegiance in serving this world is to the king as he is his truth and who he is. As we serve the world, we don't become unfaithful to the truth about who Jesus is and the message that he's called us to proclaim. Yet, we're ambassadors who are representing God, faithful to the king, but in a world that, quite honestly, the Bible calls their enemies. Enemies of the gospel. Enemies of God. But that's the beauty of this as we, as we see that God, as we're ambassadors for him, in verse 20, He's making his appeal through us. We have the greatest message that can be given as we're serving the world. We have to be about the word of reconciliation, proclaiming the message of reconciliation. And it is the greatest word to the enemy. Though you're an enemy of God, God is using us to make an appeal to this world. We implore you, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. It is possible for you to come under the leadership of Christ and his goodness and his rule and to see how good he is and how good life is in his kingdom. It's possible for you to do that. He's, been, he's accomplished it through his son Christ and that as ambassadors is the message we proclaim with urgency. We beg it, we implore you, be reconciled to God. And how can that even be possible? In verse 21, Paul drives it home with one of the most important verses about what Christ has accomplished for us in all of the Bible. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is referred to as the great exchange 
And if you're here and you're hearing this message, you've been a believer for a long time and you're serving in this capacity, and so many of you are, you're serving and it's bringing glory to Jesus because you're serving the world with such a posture of Jesus. It's bringing so much glory to him and you just needed the reminder of it this morning. But here's the beauty of what verse 21 is saying. If, if you've never experienced it, saying that Jesus, he came and he lived this perfect life, and, but all of the sin, all of the hostility that we have towards God that earned for us his wrath upon our lives, he made him who not, did not sin in Christ, he lived perfectly pleasing to the Father, he put that sin upon Christ. He took it off of us and he put it upon Christ, but there's a greater exchange that even happens in that. As our sin is placed on the perfect life of Christ so that he can be a substitute, so that all the wrath deserved to us can fall on Christ, then he takes the perfect life of Christ, that every thought, every action was completely pleasing to the Father so that God looked at Jesus and said, you are my son, I love you, you have done everything right and good, nothing can separate you from me you belong to me that's your identity nothing you do will take that away he takes all of that affection that he had for Christ and he puts it on us so that we become the righteousness of God isn't that a great truth amen that's the truth that we proclaim and that's the king that we proclaim the one who knew no sin but became sin so that we can experience reconciliation with God. And he's called us into that ministry. As the church, we serve the world. Let's pray.